You're going to be a bit worried about what you're going to get this morning, aren't you, after me being here for five minutes? A bit worried myself. Hey, thanks, team. Yeah, give them a hand. Oh, good. What a great time just to come and praise God, hey. You know, the hope of glory, if we've got nothing else, we have the hope of glory that allows our spirit to praise God. Amen? Mm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come here and gather together as your family. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to come and praise you, to worship you. Father, I thank you for this word that I believe you've given me, but Father, more importantly, I ask that through your Holy Spirit you will minister to each and every one of us this morning that are in the hearing of this word. And we give you all praise and honour in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in early July, Sandy and I joined a gym because we were going to, many, some of you would know, we were doing a, we were going to do a big walk last weekend. I did the big walk last weekend. Somebody else drove around in a minibus. That's fine. I'm good with that. I've got myself right with that, I think. <laughs> so... Early in October, I was also in an AFL Masters football competition in Tasmania. So I wanted to, for once in my life, sort of be fit. And it didn't work. But because I got, well, the day before I joined the gym, I was playing football and I damaged my ankle severely. And uh, thank you to Anita and her ladies at her physio place. I was able to do the things I've done in October. But. We joined the gym and uh, got a, you know, a routine thing done, pulling and pushing and all this sort of stuff you do. And after probably about two weeks or so, I'm in the bathroom and, yeah, hey, you're looking good, mate. You're looking like Steve-O. You know, hey, looking real good. And uh, then I thought, you idiot. <laughs> You've been doing it for two weeks. That's not going to show <laughs> well, well, I know why the men are all laughing because it's a well-known fact that it doesn't matter how ugly, how out of shape, how out of condition a male is, he will stand in front of the bathroom mirror and go, hey, big fella. <laughs> and all those males that are laughing do it every morning. <laughs> Distinct difference between males and females, apparently, I believe, a very attractive lady can stand in front of a mirror and go, I'm ugly, I'm overweight. That's a whole new sermon about whatever that is for women. I won't go there. But I have been told and I've read that, yep, men all look good in front of a mirror. And I was looking good that morning until I sort of slapped myself and woke up. So even though the reality was my body hadn't changed, well, I don't think it would have, I, I, I was thinking about it, so why was I thinking that, that I could stand in the mirror after only two weeks of going, that's only six sessions at a gym, that I think, now I'm looking like Steve-O. Why is that? 
because we'd also decided, I think Sandy decided, we would eat better. So my brain believed that if I ate better and I exercised, I was going to feel better and look better. So my brain was way ahead of the rest of the body. From here down, it was just taking a while to catch up. So even though in reality my body wouldn't have changed in two weeks, I believe it was doing me good. And not only that, I was carrying myself differently, not strutting around. I think that's the back part of the gym do that. The part I'm in, we're all sort of much like this. But I was walking more, I guess, confidently. I'm thinking, you know, this is good. I'm feeling better. I'm eating right. I'm doing all these things. I've got to be better. We've started our church play for this year and uh, some of you may not know but we start with a script and we finish the script about five minutes before the end of the second time we do it. That's when the script gets completed. So young Lydia had homework. She had, there was a line in one of the, one of the uh, um, what do you call them? Scenes, <laughs> thank you. And she had, and so young Lydia comes up and, and she, it was her turn to talk and she hadn't said it to anyone. She said, if you believe, you will achieve. And we all went, oh, that's great. <laughs> and I did too because that's what I need for Sunday. So I wrote it down and that's my message. And she's not even here to congratulate her. You w- if you believe, you will achieve. It starts up here. If we don't believe it, it ain't going to happen. We can hope, we can wish, we can do whatever, but it's not going to happen if it doesn't start up here. See, if we believe God loves us, we'll feel loved and we'll act like we're loved. If we believe that God can use us, we'll feel important. We'll put our hand to what we believe God wants us to do with confidence. We are what we believe we are. The second book of Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I read that during the week and I started to think about it. And I'm thinking, okay, how does this fit in? And I believe for us to walk effectively in the first two, the power, the spirit of power and the spirit of love, we have to get the third one right. We have to get the mind, a sound mind in the things of God. Other versions use self-control or self-discipline. But I would ask the question this morning, how can we show self-control and self-discipline if we don't have a sound mind? When we were in Tasmania recently, we were at the Tahoon, I think I got that right. It's not as difficult as those New Zealand names. My goodness. And it's an air walk thing where you walk on a walkway, a metal walkway, about 40 or 50 metres up in the air through the trees. And the gu- there was another couple from Brisbane and a guide, and we got on to talking about snakes in Tasmania. And he said, well, we've only got three, and they're about the three most deadliest in the world. And we don't have any nice ones. And he said, no, we're up here. And said, if you look down there, they're everywhere. We're going back down there. But he told us a story about a guy who was out in the wilderness working 
and uh, he was miles from anywhere, if you can get miles from anywhere from Tasmania, it's not real big, is it? But he was out in the wilderness on his own and he was bitten by one of these snakes. He knew the snake, he knew what it could do to him. What do you do when you get bitten by a snake bite? Apparently you're supposed to relax. I'm not sure how you do that. Walking 30 or 40 or 50 kilometres isn't a good idea because that exerts your body, which gets the poison going around in your blood. That's not a good idea. He had no communication. Where he was, there was no communication. He was on his own. So what did he do? I'm not sure which finger. He was bitten on the finger and he could tell that the, the venom was still in the end of the finger. It hadn't gone any further. So he grabbed his rifle and shot his finger off. Oh, that's better than dying, Penny. <laughs> it's a better option. A lot easier to stem blood than it is to stem poison going through your body. What a sound mind. Would I have done that? I'm going to die, I'm going to die. To have the clarity of thought to think I'm a goner if I leave this finger as it is. If I shoot it off, bind it up, I'm going to survive. And he did. That, I believe, is a sound mind. Self-control and self-discipline. Wow. Now you and I have been born again and that means our spirit which was dead in sin has been renewed with God's spirit of life. But our minds have to be renewed to a new way of thinking, to God's way of thinking. We have a choice, either our way or his way. Now it's interesting, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a fear, correct? Spirit of fear, correct? And yet there's many places in the Bible where it talks about fearing God. Well, hang on a minute. One of the writers is telling us to not, we, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, and it's telling, someone else is telling us to fear God. You want to look in chapter Mark, oh, just a little, there's a slight difference. And I'll look at Mark chapter 4. Many of us would know this account. Mark chapter 4. I'm sure I've got it in my Bible, it was there the other day. Here we go. Mark chapter 4, and it's the account of Jesus and the disciples hopping in a couple of boats. And Jesus says, let's cross over to the other side, being the other side of the lake. Okay, let's go. We all hop in the boat. Next minute, the storm comes up. There's wind, the waves are crashing over the boat. The, the, there's, you know, keeping in mind that I guess most, a lot of, Many of these disciples wouldn't have been fishermen and they wouldn't have been real wrapped in this whole idea of being swamped in a boat. But also, some of the disciples, as we know, were experienced fishermen. And what I gather, they were all panicking. And here's Jesus having a nap in the back of the boat. And uh, they awoke him and said, Teacher, you do not even care that we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The NIV translates that as they were terrified of what he'd just done. See, there's two types of fear. The one in uh, 1 Timothy, timidity, fearfulness and a cowardness. That's the, we're all going to die, we're all going to die, I need chocolate. (laughs) That's that one. Whereas the other one, when they saw what Jesus did, there was still a fear, but it brought a reverence and an awe of Jesus. See, the difference is leading different. Chocolate's Jesus. And in Luke it says they were in fear and amazement. That brought a respect. That's the difference. See, if we put our Tassie man in the boat with the disciples, the storm's crashing around, they're all panicking. Look, fellas, what did Jesus say? Oh, we're all going to die. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? Come on, fellas. We're going to go over to the other side. Right. Jesus said you're going to go to the other side. That means you're going to get there. So hang on. All good. Sound mind. Self-control. That type of fear leads to us to trust in God instead of panicking, bringing respect. Those few AFL people that are in our congregation, who can remember when the Brisbane Lions were really good and top of the ladder, not the bottom, like they are now? (laughs) I remember watching one of them, they won three grand finals in a row and that's not a real easy feat. And I remember, can't remember which one it was, I was watching and I'm watching their play and I said to my friend who was with me, I said, that is scary. The, the clinical way they went about their game. I'm watching this game. That, that, that's scary to watch. It was just so, you know, it didn't matter what the other team threw at them. They just went, boom, boom, boom. Didn't let it bother them. And I think that's the first time I've ever said, you know, watching football and saying that's scary. But it was respect. And I'm sure the other the clubs that ever came up against them at that period they had that respect for the Brisbane Lions. They wouldn't now. My goodness. Playing the Brisbane Lions, tick one. We're done. That self-control and discipline comes from knowing God's word, the renewed state of mind. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? If we don't believe what God says, we aren't going to achieve what God has called us to do. Romans chapter 8. Acts Romans chapter 8. Reading from verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds of the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. We've been born of the Spirit. Our spirit has been renewed. We were born with a spirit dead in, in sin and when we've come to Jesus Christ, our spirit has been renewed. But the rest of us, like my body to my brain, has to catch up. Two Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. On Friday night, I watched. Is it Home and Garden, House and Garden, or something? I hardly ever watch it because I'd rather watch footy. But the footy season's finished. But they had a little cottage that had been renovated. And looking from the street, it was, they'd done a little bit to it, but it, you could tell it was the same old cottage. But when you opened the door, it had a wow factor. Did anyone watch it? It was amazing. This little skinny you know, hallway there, bedroom, couple of bedrooms or something down there. Out the back was some old lean-to things and that. And they'd done the whole thing and they'd made about what, three stories out of it or something. And the inside was just amazing. They had, they had it so there was a, a void sort of thing going up the whole uh, one side with um, windows on the roof so it brought all the light in and, and it was amazing. And you know, that's us. The outside's recognisable as the old man. The inside has been beautifully renewed by God's spirit. Do we believe? Do we believe what God says about us? Do you believe you're alive in Christ? That you're free from the law of sin and death? That you have the mind of Christ? That you can do all things through Christ Jesus? That you are God's workmanship created in Christ unto good works? You're a joint heir with Christ. You're a conqueror through him who loves you. You are greatly loved by God. You are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Do we believe that? The power of the gospel is believing what Christ has done for us. When we believe, we can walk in the first two of 2 Timothy 1.7, the spirit of power and the spirit of love. The spirit of power. Being in Christ has given us power over sin. Romans 6, Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 5 to 11. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. 
We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ we were set free from the power of sin and since we died with Christ we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you, should, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Often on real estate shows, they'll talk position, position, position. Buy the house in the good position. It's better to buy, what is it, a, a bad, the worst house in the best street than the best house in the worst street. It's all about position with real estate. And that's the same with us. Position, position, position. See, we're either in Adam or we're in Christ. Our position determines our condition. In Adam, we're dead in our sin. In Christ, we have life, abundant life, eternal life. Because we are in Christ, we have been given the power to walk in God's grace and mercy and righteousness, saved from the power of sin. As we renew our way of thinking to God's way of thinking, believing what he has said about us, God's power will enable us to do the things we would have thought impossible. God's power will enable us to withstand the storms of life God's power will help us do what he's called us to do and to operate in the gifts that he has given. God's power will compel us to love. I read a commentary on 2 Timothy 1.7 and it says, God has given us a spirit of love. This tells us a lot about the power he has given us. Many think of power in terms of how much we can control others. But Jesus' power is expressed in how much we can love and serve others. Remember Jesus on the night before the cross. Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. What did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. He showed his love to them. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. With God's spirit of love in us, we will see life differently and we will see and treat others differently. Well, what did Jesus say the greatest commandments were? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great com commandment. And the second is, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In Luke chapter 19, we see a character who 
after coming into the presence of Christ, changed dramatically and showed his, showed Christ's love for those who he hadn't been too lovely to before. Most of us would have read the passage about Zacchaeus and how he got up in a tree to see Jesus. So we can have a look at who this Jesus guy was. Jesus calls him down. He says, come on, I want to go to your house for lunch. All the, the uh, righteous people of the town were disgusted that this so-called holy man would go and have, have lunch with such a horrible, dirty sinner. He was a tax collector for the Romans. And so they've had lunch and... Uh, Uh, he is, um, when they then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusations, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. An immediate turnaround in this man's life by just coming in contact with Jesus. It makes us do things. The love of God propels us to do things that perhaps we don't want to do or perhaps we don't think we can do. Or one before and before we were we were we were born again wouldn't enter our minds. And we have a team um, that are involved from here with other churches. We do night chaplains. I don't know about the other night chaplains, but from half past 11 till 3 o'clock in the morning, I know what I'd rather be doing. Not walking the streets with drunks. <laughs> but we go out there. I love to go out there and just be Christ to those people who don't know Christ. The love of the power of God's love, His Spirit of love, compels us to do things like that. I know myself how I've changed with certain people since I've been a Christian that I wouldn't have anything to do with, and now I look at them and I want to be with them. I want to help them. I want to spend time with them when others won't. That's the Spirit of God's love within me. And we all have that, that we can do things above and beyond what we thought we could. So, after two weeks in the gym, I was looking pretty good. Well, I thought I was. Up here, I was looking great. Had I changed? I don't think so. I mean, I know most of us probably got one of those things under the bed that, you know, for 15 easy payments of $50 for two minutes a day, you can, you can do this and in two weeks you'll look like Arnie Schwarzenegger. <laughs> don't ever buy one of those. I haven't. Steve-O, stop laughing. You know... It doesn't take much brain power. Two minutes a day using this funny thing is not going to make you look like Arnie in two weeks. Save your money. 
Had I changed? No. Not physically. Had I changed mentally? Definitely yes. Can I have the music team come up, please? I saw a, a clip on uh, the YouTube. I'm not, not sure what I was on, but somehow I got onto this clip. And there was a guy that's called, uh, if you want to look at it, it's quite interesting, the Backwards Brain Bicycle. Has anyone seen that? I'm all on my own, okay. And what had happened, this guy, his, his mates had got together and they'd got a push bike and they'd rigged the, the handlebars so that if you wanted to go right, you had to turn left. That's pretty simple, hey? Easy. It's impossible. He hopped on it and he couldn't do it. He's a lecturer or something. He travels the world going to university and you'll quite often get someone up on the stage. Okay, now, right, you cannot do it. It's impossible to just hop on one. You know, I'm thinking when it started, well, I mean, all you've got to do, you're going to, it's, it's easy. I mean, you do that with a boat, don't you? know, you go the opposite way with a boat. It's impossible. Well, it's not completely impossible. He set himself the challenge. And so for about 20 minutes or so a day, he was going up and down his driveway. He was going to beat this thing. And then after about eight months, his brain went, not very good, click, click. And he could do it. He could ride the backwards bike. I think I got something like that. He could ride it. Easy. The brain shifted. And then sometime later, and it shows on the YouTube, I think he was in Amsterdam or somewhere, he decided he would ride a normal bike. <laughs> he felt like an idiot. He could not do it. Because his brain had changed over to the other way. Now, interesting, it took him 20 minutes a day for eight months to change his mind. It took him 20 minutes to go back for his brain to revert back to the original way of riding a bike. That's a whole new sermon. He spent 20 minutes a day learning to master a push bike. How often, how long a day do we spend mastering God's word, learning God's word, believing God's word? Are you believing what you're seeing in your life today or are you believing what God can do through you? Are you changing your way of thinking through reading and believing God's word? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do we believe that this morning? Let's stand together. Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your wonderful word that you've given us. Father, I thank you that you you do and you will speak to us through your word as we read it. 
I pray for each of us this morning, Lord, that we would continue to take the time to not only to read your word, to soak it in and to believe it and apply it to our lives, that we would renew our minds as we are in Christ. Father, I pray for those who could be struggling with situations this morning, that they would look to your word. They would believe your word. They would walk in your word. They would be encouraged by your word. Father, we give you all the praise, all the honour and all the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.